0: Hey everybody, today's guest on Swim Out of the Box is Abby the Fish, she's a fantastic swim coach with a, a great Instagram, so you guys should go follow her on Instagram after the podcast and check her stuff out. Uh, it's a nice little conversation that we had about coaching and a little bit about freestyle, I hope you guys enjoy. <music> All right, Abby Fish, welcome to Swim Out of the Box. Uh, I'm excited to talk to you because I always get to see you on Instagram, and you're always um, so thoughtful, I think, about not just swimming, but also how you represent yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's something different than what we do on Swim Box on Instagram, is we just kind of give information about swimming technique and swimming in general. I really like your personal approach to how you share things on Instagram, so I'm, I'm really... Excited to just talk and get to know you, actually. So yeah. give us a, a bit of a background about yourself, please.
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, I always enjoy talking to people, meeting people within the network of the swimming community. Uh, I feel like we're always like three degrees removed from each other, um, even if we don't know each other directly. So it's great. But uh, yeah, so I, uh, I appreciate what you said on Instagram. I do try to be super transparent. Uh, I realize, like, yeah, I run a company and I have my own brand, but the brand is mine and it's based off of me. And so I want to be super personable. I want people to know who I am um not just think of me as kind of like something that's behind like a shark face or anything like that um right. so yeah I like to let my personality run through and like this morning I uploaded a video of me hip-hop dancing and that's nothing to do with swimming but uh, I think it's <laughs> hilarious it entertains me and people think it's funny so that's kind of my yeah. approach with that but uh yeah swimming's been a part of my life for basically all of my life um, I started swimming when I was four years old uh, my mom was, fairly reluctant on that. She was like, yeah, you're a little young, but she let me make the choice and I started swimming and yeah, I retired at the age of uh, 25. So I had a fruitful 20 year career going on um, and it pretty much hasn't stopped. Yeah. I started coaching (laughs) as I was still training and um, Mm -hmm. yeah, now I've had a bunch of different coaching jobs and have ended up now with my own business and it's been a crazy wild ride, but uh, I'm stoked to see where it continues to go.
0: Cool. So I'm always interested why people go into coaching. Mm -hmm. So what were like some of the reasons you went into coaching? Because we all have our own sort of reasons, I guess.
1: Yeah, so actually I didn't want to coach. I was like pretty darn adamant that I wasn't going to coach cuz I saw a bunch of people that I knew that were like pretty bitter with their swimming careers, get into coaching, um just because they didn't really know what else to do and they didn't really know like what their identity was outside the sport, but then they'd be in it for a couple years and then, you know, move on to something else and with females on top of that it was kind of like well how do you balance even coaching anyways like say you liked it and then it's like how do you have a family and kids and Mm -hmm. balance everything else so i was like you know what no like this isn't the profession i want to be in i'm going to go to physical therapy school like very much dead certain like that was my path the day the first day i set on campus for college and that's the same major i had all the way through college like that was what i was determined to do um, but ironically, uh, I retired early at UGA, um, during my senior year I Had a bunch of different like health issues and uh, shoulder problem and just kind of like life happened when, to me when I was in college, um, mm-hmm. which I felt like kind of forced me to make a decision on, you know, swimming earlier than I wanted to. So I left with a very bitter taste in my mouth and I was definitely like, no. Um, but once again, most of my friends were swimmers. Um, so when I stopped swimming, everybody else was still training and I was at home twiddling my thumbs being like, wow, I have so much more time to do things, but I don't know what I should be doing. Um, and yeah, I was dating someone at the time who, uh, was a coach as well. And they were like, you know what? You should coach. And I was like, absolutely not. (laughs) no um and one day turned into two days and two days turned into three and just slowly but surely um it was kind of like, why don't you just come to the pool? Why don't you just try it out? Why don't you just see? And uh, yeah, I ended up going like once a week, twice a week. And then it became, you know, I was back at the pool every single day. And it helped me totally change my attitude on my own swimming career. And it just helped me remember from a coaching perspective, like I was an eight-year-old running in with my goggles on and my backpack down to my knees and just kind of like a hot mess. And that's what I loved about swimming. It wasn't necessarily like, all the accolades or things that were happening to me in college that, you know, made swimming better. So yeah, I started coaching and haven't stopped since.
0: Yeah. So it's actually kind of interesting parallels because I swam at the Savannah College of Art and Design. So, so exactly. So we kind of like have that Georgia connection there. Um, Mm. I also grew up just south of Atlanta. So Mm. my oldest brother went to Georgia tech, but my other brother is a huge UGA fan. Um, so that's an interesting connection, but I had shoulder issues my senior year of Mm -hmm. swimming as well. And I had surgery on both of my shoulders
1: my -hmm.
0: senior year. And that's why I decided to swim because my, my injuries could have been prevented with better knowledge, better coaching. And Mm -hmm. when I had the, the injuries, physical therapists didn't know how to fix me. They just told yeah. me to stop doing butterfly, and that was not the issue. I was a backstroker, so mm-hmm. it didn't make any sense, right? So it's just like, well, if if I want to continue to do the thing that I love the most, the two things that I always were a constant in my life were swimming and art. Um, mm-hmm. I was like, well, I've got to figure out how I can teach somebody else to never have those injuries, and mm-hmm. so that's why I got into coaching, and so it's kind of like – it's interesting, and you brought up really good points. I think it's – no one gets into coaching to – be a millionaire right no one's like oh i'm yeah. gonna be filthy rich as a swim coach yeah all right so <laughs> yeah like this decision you have to make are you going to be able to afford having a family and free time because i think what a lot of people don't know about swim coaches is they have very little free time yes. it's like a traditional swim coach for sure right where it's like mm-hmm. you're on deck all day long at practices and then you're on weekends you're at swim meets yeah it's just insanity so we uh we employ a lot of new coaches and so it's just mm-hmm. interesting to, to try to give them opportunity to have some free time and not be on deck all the time mm-hmm. so it's really kind of nice like trying to help swimmers out it was like my past coaching career but now I'm trying to help coaches out like I, I don't want other coaches to have to struggle the way that I struggled um, mm-hmm. I don't know about you but my first couple of years of coaching were rough I don't yeah I think I made like 12 grand my first two years (laughs) of coaching.
1: Yep. No, I totally, I remember when I started coaching and, I got, like, my first mentor was Harvey Humphreys because I coached at Athens Bulldog Swim Club. Like, I coached throughout high school, but it wasn't really anything, like, at Lakeside and just stuff, but it wasn't really anything more than, like, a part-time gig. But, yeah, Harvey was telling me how, you know, when he was back in the 1970s, he coached at a country club and slept in the bleachers and ate hot dogs from the concession <laughs> stand and made, like, $6,000, so I should be grateful for, you know, the money that I'm making and everybody else on staff and Yeah, I was like, you know what? I've been there. I've done that. I've done the grind. Like, I feel like I've put in my time, but uh, it's also not 1970 anymore. And yeah, I don't (laughs) need hot dogs. So (laughs) I was like, yeah, uh, I don't know. I'm gonna reassess my life for a second right now. So yeah,
0: yeah. it'll it'll quickly make you reassess your life for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So as far as like coaching goes, what would you? Where do you think your like coaching superpower lies? Like, where do you think you're the best at when it comes to actual coaching?
1: Yeah. So kind of like what you were saying with the shoulder problems and then kind of getting into like a technique thing and help people not kind of experience the same shoulder pain. Similarly, that's where I'm at with coaching. So I want to go to physical therapy into physical therapy school because I wanted to be a physical therapist because I had so many physical therapists throughout my swimming career that I was exposed to that helped me feel better to be able to do what I wanted to do. Um, so for me with, with swimming and working on stroke technique, uh, I feel like I'm helping people not only get faster and achieve their goals, but also minimize their ability to have any sort of injuries and or pain. Um, so for me specifically, I definitely do like, um uh, Coaching, Like I like having a group of kids, but I feel like my niche is kind of like that one on one interaction when you can have yeah. with someone that it, it's not necessarily even the feedback or like what they're getting out of it. But it's like the relationship that's created yeah. that helps elevate them to the next level. And like yesterday, I did a CrossFit swim clinic um, and those people, you know, are very differently built than swimmers. <laughs> But just connecting with them and relating to them and understanding their sport and their passion and their goals and helping and seeing that, like, what I can do can help someone else, not even someone who's trying to make the swimming Olympic team, is very, very rewarding. So, uh, yeah, yeah, the relationship part of it, I feel like it's something I'm good at and I love about it. So, it makes me want to do it more.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I completely get that. And I feel very similarly. Um, I only work with. 23 clients per quarter now, so mm-hmm. that I could have better relationships with people. I mean, before mm-hmm. I was seeing like, tons and tons of people day in day out, right? So it's nice to be able to have those connections. And mm-hmm. it almost, like you said, like, it's not about getting someone to the point just to go to the Olympics. It's like, you start to get to know people and they understand their ultimate goals. And a lot of it can be just they want to swim indefinitely until they're ninety years old, mm. right? It doesn't necessarily need to be a competitive goal for me to want to work with somebody. Mm. Um, and I've actually had these conversations with some of my uh, age group athletes that, like, if their coach is willing to ignore them because they didn't swim well, they might want to find a coach that wants to just help them. Yeah, you know, not not someone that wants to just make great swimmers. Yeah. Uh, so anyone that's willing to uh, learn how to swim or be better at swimming. That's who Mm. I want to work with. So I I completely understand that, that sensation, that feeling. Uh, Mm. I get it. It's such a good and rewarding feeling. Yeah. Um, how often are you kind of doing, do you do like swim lessons you said one-on-one? Is it, do you consider that a swim lesson? Is that what your main focus is?
1: Yeah. So I call them like stroke technique lessons, but yeah, I do them like I don't know, a couple times a week, and then all weekends they're pretty much stacked. And then I do coach a local club team as well. I feel like I've done the whole full time coaching stuff, and mm-hmm. I'm glad that I have. So I have that perspective. Um, but I also felt like I worked when I worked at the race club a couple years back, all I did was one on one instruction, and then we'd come in and do camps. But it was never like you touched people more than a couple times a year. And for me, I kind of felt like that in itself wasn't keeping me as fresh as I, as I could be when I'm like at practice every single day and trying things and working through training cycles and really looking at the overall pie still. So I part-time coach this local club team. Um, I have a group of 12 year olds, which is like, it's just hilarious. Um, And then I bounce off of that and I go into either, you know, like the more elite stroke technique um, Mm -hmm. lessons or I'll do like even like adults that want to learn to swim uh, and all that stuff is kind of on the peripheral. So it's a great balance. And I feel like it keeps me fresh because they're not always necessarily the same. Um, And, yeah, my 12 year olds are like my guinea pigs. So I'll be like, hey um did you see lily king did her first breaststroke on instagram like why don't you guys try that for a 25 and they're like oh my gosh and then they freak yeah. out and then they try it. so it's fun
0: very cool um yeah. do you actually swim still
1: i do so it's like more of i dabble at swimming um well put well put <laughs> yeah i think every swimmer as um i like to call us uh mm-hmm has a weird relationship with swimming where it's like not quite something you want to give up but it's not quite something you ever want to do at that level again um and so yeah it's taken me a really long time to get to the point where i enjoy swimming and like enjoy going to the pool but it's like a fine line of like don't make yourself go because if you go you might just absolutely dislike the next two hours of your life
0: right right
1: yeah So I swim a couple times a week uh, with my old club team. It's hilarious. Um, I get to go in with these 16-year-olds, and they call me a lady. They're like, who's this lady that's swimming with me? I'm like, I'm 29 years old. Like, is that how you get qualified to be a lady?
0: Doesn't take much. No. Low bar.
1: (laughs) My old club coach loves it. He always makes fun of me and whatever. And I'm like, you know what? I get in there so I can kick my own butt and just prove that, like, you know, I can still do this if I wanted to. And, it's, uh, yeah, it's good memories and just everything. So I enjoy it.
0: Cool. Very cool. Uh, what's your specialty? What do you What do you think your specialty is, or your favorite stroke? Sometimes favorite strokes aren't necessarily, not necessarily specialties.
1: Yeah. Well, my favorite stroke slash specialty is butterfly. Is that what it is? Till now, no. <laughs> like- <laughs> I don't swim a whole lot of butterfly. It makes my shoulders still hurt, which is unfortunate. Um, so I do a lot of freestyle, and I'm uh, pretty good at underwaters. Like, I'm still pretty good at kicking, which is, like, strange. Uh, so I love me some underwater, like, fin sets um, uh, that are kick. So, yeah, those are kind of like – if Mike has Mike DeBoer is my old club coach, and uh, if he ever has a set that's, like, underwater with fins, I'm like, oh, yeah, these kids are going down. <laughs>
0: that's nice i love kicking the the ass of 16 year olds yes
1: i'm like you know real real good about myself today.
0: (laughs) (laughs) nice um so since this is our first sort of actual conversation um and i i want to know like kind of your approach with freestyle when you teach freestyle um Uh we have done podcasts in the past like The whole thing with doing this podcast has always been just an experiment, It's just an opportunity to talk to people, uh, whether a lot of times this podcast is done with my wife, who is also a former swimmer, and it's just us kind of like talking ideas about swimming or nutrition or things like that. Um, And so we've done these podcasts in the past where we kind of tried to break down the fundamentals of freestyle by different podcasts, Uh, and I think every coach probably has their own way of spotting different things in a stroke so Mm -hmm. how do you go about like kind of like where do you start do you start legs the the torso what do you where do you start
1: yeah so I'm a big fan of starting with the body first on every stroke and then going out to the peripheral so um like always looking at body line and going back to the body line and then once you kind of are confident with your body line you feel good or as a coach you're looking at your swimmer you feel like they can hold their line that's when you kind of start adding in the more technical details Uh, at least that's what i consider them Um, because i feel like it's a lot harder to teach someone like how to pull correctly if they're sitting at like a very bad body line Um, right yeah so a stroke technique for me i always use this analogy it's like A puzzle and you have all these pieces and there's all these things that make sense and these things that help and coaches articulate them all very differently but it's like the art of coaching is looking at this all these puzzle pieces and then putting together essentially the masterpiece in the best and fastest and most efficient way that we can with whoever we're working with so you can obviously put the pieces pieces of the puzzles together at different times and at different points and probably end up with the same outcome but it might not be as quick so right it just depends on how you look at things um, and what you choose first to go with. And for me, it's always body line. I think it's the easiest to start with and then you go from there to the appendages.
0: So for you with body line, um, there's a couple of different sort of nuanced approaches there. Uh, mm. My preference is for people to have about a half an inch to an inch of water flowing over the back of their head. Obviously we want everything in line from that point. Mm. Um, there seems to be some sort of resurgence. I don't know. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but there seems to be almost a resurgence in like, uh, having a, I call it like an open chest, meaning like the ribs are sort of expanded Mm -hmm. versus a more neutral body position. I don't know if you've seen that at all or.
1: Yeah. No, I get what you're saying.
0: Yeah. So for me, I don't know how I, I always prefer just completely neutral body line. Mm -hmm. Um, it just seems that, uh, if the spine is in line, the appendages are going to work more better, right? They're, they're more better. They're going to. Um, yeah. <laughs> I get paid to talk, uh, um, <laughs> so you know it's it's about being able to generate force mm-hmm. and mobility. And mm-hmm. I feel I feel like if someone's in this like banana shape, not not full on banana shape, but yeah. a little bit of a curve there, they're not going to be able to be able to generate their full potential of force. So I don't know if if you uh, pay that much attention to it or if you mm-hmm try to correct natural postures as well.
1: Yeah. Well, that's the thing. And I think for a lot of people, um, like I stand that way. So I actually stand with my hips rocked forward. Um, and a lot of people in our just general society, not even swimmers do. Um, and we don't have very good control of our pelvis. Like someone like you probably have a pelvic tilt, some in some direction, I have a pelvic tilt in some direction. Um, and a lot of that is due to the fact that like I don't know how much like research and stuff that you read, but I'm like a nerd when it comes to these things. And like, so am I. you know, as far as like the glutes, like we don't have very strong glute muscles. Like a lot of times, there's people who can run miles and miles and miles and miles, and they don't even fire their glutes the entire mm-hmm. time. And with swimming, if you don't have strong like a back strong po- strong back posterior chain you're going to sink and you're going to go into that banana shape. And so for me, yeah, like body line is what I would look at. I think you're totally right. The ideal is a neutral body line. But if you're looking at someone outside the water and they're not doing that, you know, 97% of their life and the 3% of their life they're sitting in the water, you're never going to be able to correct it as a coach. So like there is kind of this harmonious, um, style of how everything is interconnected with training. And like, yeah, stroke technique is like a part of this whole pie. But like if the strength and conditioning piece is not there, if the mobility piece is not there, like it doesn't necessarily matter how good of a coach you are if you're not setting mm-hmm. up your swimmer for success. So it's like we're seeing that and that needs to be addressed. And the easiest way to address it is outside the pool versus inside the pool because right. it's going to immediately be lost. The connection will be lost when they hop out. So, yeah, I totally think a neutral body line is key. It's just a lot of people can't do it because they don't know how to do it when they're not in a resistance environment.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I try to articulate that to my clients that Mm -hmm. maybe they swim a total of 10 hours a week, Mm -hmm. like 10 hours out of an entire week. You think you're going to make a meaningful change? (laughs) There's no way. And for my more competitive people, maybe they're swimming 18 hours a week. You Mm -hmm. know, that's still not very much. Right. Even though that's considered a lot of swimming. Mm -hmm. Um, I never put an emphasis initially on strength work. It's always mobility and flexibility work. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I just feel like there's a reason why I can have, you know, a 30 something year old triathlete come in
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and not swim as fast as a 14 year old female.
1: Right.
0: It's not because he's not stronger than them. It's, Mm -hmm. it's because he doesn't have the flexibility. He doesn't have the, opportunities to set positions basically like Mm -hmm. a younger athlete would have yeah so we i focus a lot on that and um i would i would really encourage you to look into pri Mm -hmm. uh postural respiratory institute i don't know if you have or not yeah um if you you should definitely go to one of their their clinics and courses it Mm is really really helpful to teach people uh Posture and how their breath affects their posture. Yeah. So we go, like I said, you're a nerd, I am, I'm so equally a nerd when it comes to this stuff. Like, yeah, it's just, I just like the the human body is such an interesting sort of mechanical thing, and and mm. it's like I don't know if anyone really knows how it works. You know, like yeah. people yeah. have yeah. insights That's, on it, yeah, but it's not like really figured out. So it's kind of cool how, especially mm. with swimming. There's all these changes that take place because I think mm-hmm. as we learn how bodies work better and better, people are changing the way that they move in the water as well. So it's kind of neat. Um,
1: yeah. 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 I had a guy who was a physical therapist when I was in um, kind of outside of college and in grad school, but still sort of training. So I retired and then I came out of retirement and continued training. And he did a lot of that stuff where it was the same sort of like shoulder exercises, but the focus was more on the breath and how the breath affected my posture during those exercises and whether it elevated my ribs and kind of forced the shoulder up into its joint or it kept it decompressed. Um, yeah. And it's super interesting, but once again, it's like, you're talking about this Institute, which like, yeah. Okay. You and I both know about that, but like, the coach down to, down the street, right. do they know about that. You know, it's like not very well, like mainstream. And I think that's like, it's key for someone like you, who's able to work with people and bring that knowledge. Like that's super important. Like, and it's super important for me who has a voice within this the community as well, to be able to say like, Hey, there isn't just one way to do all of this. Like, and there's yep. a lot of other theories out here and they work. Um, so yeah, I, I totally agree that the mobility is super important, uh, for swimmers and, Um, I was the opposite. I'm actually too tight on my shoulders. So maybe that's why I'm like, you know, strength and conditioning is more of a component and you're more like flexibility is a component. There's definitely a merge between the two of them. But, uh, yeah, I was the weird swimmer that had too tight of shoulders versus the swimmer that had too loose of shoulders.
0: Huh? Yeah. I was on the opposite for sure. My shoulders kept dislocating. That's why I had surgery.
1: (laughs) You're the hypermobile guy. (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly.
0: (laughs) So yeah, I always, I always kind of view myself more as an adjunct to the coach on deck, all right. Cause I don't do any coaching on deck anymore. I only do, uh, in like one-on-one lessons now. Yeah, And I don't think it's fair to expect a coach on deck who might, they might be their coaching superpower might be training and, and mm-hmm. protocols for training, not technique. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like we need to figure out how to work together and not, not treat swimming as like feast or famine. I'm not mm-hmm. trying to steal anyone's swimmer. I'm trying to help that swimmer right I'm not trying to Mm -hmm. tell that swimmer their coach doesn't know what they're talking about I'm trying to help that coach achieve what they're trying to achieve and Mm -hmm. so I think there's there's a a synergy that has to be achieved and it's it's hard because swim coaches are very territorial about their swimmers Mm -hmm. so it's tricky it's a tricky thing to do
1: yeah Um, yeah I worked with swim labs I've well I have on and off over the last few years and kind of like similarly to how you're feeling there's been a lot of like you know, I don't want you giving instruction to my kid because this is how we talk about it, this, that, and the other. And even with working at the race club, like I've always had very non-traditional coaching jobs. So I think people were like, how do you fit in this space? Like, you know, like what exactly are you trying to do? Like, and all this stuff. And um, yeah, it's been really interesting to kind of forge that path and be like, yeah, no, like what I'm doing is important. And what I'm doing is not to overstep you or to make you feel like you're less than me like we're all on the same playing field and at the end of the day you want swimmers to get better I want swimmers to get better right my other coach wants to get swimmers to get better so all we're trying to do is make this sport better like right period yeah
0: exactly all right so you have a, a, a swimmer who has impeccable body posture now in mm-hmm. the water while they swim where do you go legs or arms
1: um I would do legs first um, so okay. I do, I do kicking first and then kicking once again, and still really less technical, um, than mm-hmm. the arm stroke. And so kicking mad adds in some rotation as well. Um, but yeah, foundationally freestyle, uh, kicking is a great indicator on where you're at physiologically. So if you're like really bad at kicking, you're not going to be really good at swimming. So your muscles are bigger in your legs than your arms. If you shuttle blood, get your lactate out better on your legs, you're going to be overall able to swim longer. So I think kicking is a lot of times where triathletes are failing. A lot of times where master Mm -hmm. swimmers are failing. Young kids are failing. So it's like to get better on all those and to progress in swimming, most people get better at kicking. Um, So that's where I go next.
0: Uh, So with the kick, this is what I've been trying to – I used to think of the kick as symmetrical and I'll Mm. try to explain that (laughs) as best I can. It's hard to do in words, Mm. right? If it's a flutter kick, it should be, you would think it would be equal on the way up and equal on the way down. Right. But now I'm, I'm more into the idea of trying to work the up kick and letting Mm. the down kick stop in line with the body so Mm. that there is never a leg dropping below the body line. So you're never breaking the hydrodynamics of that body position um it's it's been interesting because it's counter to whatever um i would teach a beginner right because beginners you kind of have to focus on like hip movement hip movement hip movement use your hips to kick right yeah and then they start neglecting that they have a knee even though they have a knee Mm. so (laughs) it's it's kind of interesting to try to like break the mold a little bit and not yeah. tell people it's okay to bend their knee. I almost think about the kick more like a, a bullwhip cracking. It's mm. going to bend and then it's going to go to a straight line. It's mm. not going to be pressing down as far as a beginner or a learned to swim person would press down. It's going to press down and back mostly. Mm. So that's what I try to focus on. And of course, uh, ankle flexibility, um, mm. I don't know about you as far as like as, as like as your priorities, but I've seen people who have great ankle flexibility mm-hmm. uh, be able to generate a kick even with bad like hip or knee connection, but because mm-hmm. they had ankle flexibility, they could generate a kick. But you mm-hmm. take away that that ankle flexibility, it doesn't matter how well they move through their hip or their knee. Mm-hmm. No ankle flexibility equals moving backwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I always try to help people gain flexibility in their ankle it's not going to happen very easily Mm. or i i don't know if i've ever been successful in in someone gaining ankle flexibility actually yeah (laughs) you try um (laughs) so um one of the things i want to do at at some point is like meet up with you i would love to come visit you and like just Mm. do things and and experiment and play around with like these different concepts uh and see how Mm. they work um one of the also the other things that i started to take on upon is I get a lot of people that are, um, master swimmers who have had a long swimming background. Mm. And so I actually start focusing on their arms first because Mm. I've come across this, uh, phenomenon that happens where people are swimming only through their shoulder joints, specifically their AC joint. Um, but once they learn how to use their shoulder blade properly, their core Mm. starts firing and activating properly. Mm. And once their Mm. core starts firing and activating properly, everything starts correcting itself. It's like mm-hmm. connecting the chain. It's really weird. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not something that I set out to do intentionally. It was something that was like kind of started to happen. I was like, wait a second. Mm-hmm. So it, It's interesting that you focus so much on the kick because I actually think, I think oppositely. I think if someone doesn't have a great kick, it's not going to prevent them from being a good swimmer necessarily. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah i i know where you're coming from because mm-hmm. i also work with a different population i also work with like distance swimmers like mm-hmm. marathon swimmers and i agree outright agree triathletes have been told a lie that they don't need a kick yeah lie mm-hmm. so uh yeah. combating that's very difficult it's very mm-hmm. hard I, mm-hmm. I don't i don't know why it's so hard but it's just kicking it's gonna be okay yes
1: yeah no totally you do a lot i don't understand what triathletes mindsets on that because they do so much else with their legs like they cycle for miles and miles and they run for miles but yeah with kicking i think it's just because it's hard and the ankle flexibility pretty much everything you do outside of swimming training is in the opposite position for the feet so you're not necessarily kicking in plantar flexion unless you're choosing to um so yeah they're just not taught necessarily how to do that but yeah i I totally get what you're saying like you can be a good swimmer you can be efficient you can go swim laps like it depends on the goal obviously like how you would go across who you would work with but for most of the people that i work with it's like i want to swim as fast as i can and yeah you need to have a kick to do that you can't have like your front half kind of drag along the back half without a motor behind it. So um,
0: yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So like, uh, do you have like specific sort of magical cues that you use? Like what are the like, (laughs) you know, like sometimes you just have a way that you say something and it Mm -hmm. connects with the majority of the people that you say it to Is there something that you have like for that with like kick goes as far as kicking goes for freestyle.
1: Um, well, I'm definitely different than you as far as like not breaking body line. I do believe that the kick should finish in front of the body line because um, the majority of the kick, like when you looked at kind of like the the angle and the vector of the water, like it doesn't move really water backwards until like halfway through that vector, and then a little bit down towards the bottom, but not at the finish. And I think it's more so not necessarily like the muscle, like it's more of the muscle and all the muscles in the legs firing fully. To get Mm -hmm. that to happen versus if you finish in line with the body, the analogy I like to use is essentially kicking a soccer ball. Like you would never finish and make contact with a soccer ball in line with your body. You always finish and follow through with the ball in front and the leg in front of the body. And when I give that visual to people, I think it makes a whole lot of sense. Like yesterday Mm -hmm. with the CrossFit swim clinic, we had a lot of people that were either really good at kicking in front or they're really good at kicking it back, which is kind of like, muscle imbalances like you're stronger on your front side you're stronger on your back side um but yeah just wanting the amplitude of whatever it is to be equatable on one side versus the other so you just equal those out and um yeah kind of when someone thinks about oh yeah i wouldn't kick a ball and just stop like it wouldn't go anywhere let's finish and follow through it will help them change and just give um give them something to think about when they're kicking
0: yeah i always talk about uh especially with guys because i think guys really connect with this idea of flipping a flip flop off, like Mm -hmm. flicking it across the room. And I actually ask, I say guys, because most women will actually just put their shoes away, but dudes are just lazy and just throw things around. So, um, so I will actually, I have people like when they come in with their slides or whatever, I'll just like have them kick it across the warehouse and like, go for it. Let's see how that looks. Right. And so um, as they, as they get that movement, you see that they are, even if they don't have great ankle flexibility, they mm. learn how to let it kind of relax and flick. And I think that's yeah. also the the most difficult juxtaposition about swimming. It's mm. how how do you cause tension but keep relaxed? Yeah. That's a weird thing to think about. And most – I don't know any other sport that's like that. I mean I guess mm. track and field is similar to that but not really. Like there's not mm-hmm. a, a need for a relax like there is in swimming. So mm-hmm. yeah. it's a, it's an interesting – Sort of thing to, to kind of think about and talk about with clients, but especially mm-hmm. new clients to new clients to swimming. Um, so. What about I'm very curious uh, to hear about when you start working on the breath, like mm-hmm. what is it that has to be demonstrated to you that you're like, OK, now it's time to fix that breathing because that's a weird piece of the puzzle.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it kind of depends like at the very beginning with body line and stuff, I might actually do breathing then. Um if I feel like they're maybe a little bit more efficient or maybe they have a longer swimming background or whatever, say they can already breathe to the side, then I would probably wait until way too rotation to add in breathing. Um so yeah, I mean the breathing cycle itself is so important. And I don't think people are taught the most efficient way to breathe just like when you exhale and when you inhale and if you should exhale or if you should hold your breath and all these things. Um, and that's kind of like the fundamental basics of freestyle. And I think when you're working with older populations and maybe people have backgrounds or maybe they don't like most of those backgrounds if they do have, they don't remember exactly like Oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. I was taught to like blow bubbles. Like, oh, yeah, I knew how to float or like some people like triathletes, like there's a guy I worked with yesterday. I was like, I learned how to swim by watching a swim smooth DVD. He's like, no one has ever given me instruction. That is all I've had. Like, and he swims, he'll go and swim for 30 minutes, like swim smooth worked, essentially, but it's not efficient. So it's like, teaching him how to breathe and even trying to get him to float. He can't float. And I'm like, but how are you swimming for 30 minutes if you can't float? Like, so that's where it's kind of like, and then they, once that clicks, it's not like, oh gosh, I can't float. And it's like more of a demotivating thing. Once they realize like, oh man, like if I can float, I'll swim better in floating. Right. requires proper breathing. It's going to be easier. Like you're amazing. You know, like all these <laughs> things. And it's right. just a great experience. So yeah, the breathing part, it depends. Um, like how good they are, but I sometimes do it with floating, and sometimes I do it with rotation, just depending on where they're at. Interesting. Um, so,
0: I think of the uh, the breath. I used to not think of it this way. I used to think of the breath as you have to exhale through your nose, mm-hmm. right? And then you're gonna, you know, time your breath appropriately with the rotation, in the arm, and then you're gonna inhale, and then. We So at Swimbox, what we do is we do a weekly meeting where we Mm. will have like a book club where we read technique stuff and then we kind of like have discourse. We talk about it and we Mm. sort of determine if it's good or bad or whatever we think about it and we kind of walk away from the table and then we go experiment. Um, And we were reading something that was talking about having a forced exhale in Mm. freestyle, right, where you're going to not blow bubbles out but force an exhale so that it creates a vacuum in your lungs and so you automatically inhale but you have to time that very Mm -hmm. accurate um and so we were like well we've never really thought about it because we were stuck in this mindset of teaching beginners how to breathe Mm -hmm. right so the four of us that were reading this together Mm -hmm. we went to go experiment on our own to see what we did when we swam because it's something Mm -hmm. we don't think about anymore yeah and Three of the four who were middle distance or sprinters had the explosive breath. I was one of them. I don't blow out of my nose.
1: Mm.
0: Right. And so then the other person who was a distance member was saying, Oh, I blow bubbles out of my nose. Mm-hmm. I've kind of come to realize that it's uh, a little bit of both. If I'm going 60% effort, mm-hmm. I'm blowing air out of my nose continuously. If mm-hmm. I'm uh, sprinting or going 75% effort, I'm doing that more of a forceful breath.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's
0: kind of interesting to have these nuances. And um, I don't know if you've experienced that at all, if you know what I'm talking about, or yeah. if you've read about that at all, all.
1: It was actually really crazy. So I was working with a girl, not this weekend, but past past weekend. She's from Canada. She's pretty good. She's um, 11. Uh, And her mom was like, yeah, her backstroke is just like, ah, something's wrong with her backstroke. Her arms just don't move. And like, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Okay, we'll take a look at it, see what's going on. And she was breathing in and out of her nose on her backstroke. Oh. Have you ever seen that before?
0: No, that sounds terrifying.
1: Yeah, and I was like, well, no wonder why you can't actually speed up your arms. Like, you're getting no air, like, the whole time.
0: killing herself.
1: You're like a grandma taking a stroll at a beach. Like, you know, and, like, she's laughing when I'm telling her this. And I'm like, you know, I was like, how... I mean, to me, that's kind of like a glaringly obvious thing. But I, when I looked at her, I was like, okay, what is going on? And then I just saw the mouth was closed. And I was like, why is your mouth closed? And I'm like, how are you breathing? She's like, well, I breathe in and out of my nose. And I was like, do you do that in freestyle? No. And I'm like, why do you do this in backstroke? She's like, I don't know. I just I started, started doing that. I was like, wow, you are a gem because most people like cannot do that um, and sustain a stroke. Like that's extremely difficult. Um, yeah. Yeah, and once we corrected it, her tempo increased and it was just like boom, boom, boom. But I was like, How did your coach like not notice that? Like but
0: Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah,
1: so fixed it.
0: On a positive note, that was probably increasing her VO two max because she was getting so little oxygen she and trying to work hard. So yeah. That yeah. might have helped her in some respects.
1: It did. Yeah. It was funny because they were like talking about her 200 IM from the meet or whatever, a couple weeks before that. And they're like, her backstroke split was just like so slow compared to everything else. And I was like, well, it's because she's not breathing for like an entire 50. Like, yeah, my backstroke split would be worse too. And so in yours, like everybody's waiting.
0: <laughs> right. So, um, as far as timing goes of the breath this mm-hmm. is also a really, uh, always an interesting conversation. Uh, to me, because I don't—I used to teach. You start to turn your head as you initiate the pull, mm-hmm. or you initiate the catch. I don't teach that anymore. Yeah. I actually tell people to initiate the turn of their head as their arm is like midway through their power phase, around the middle of their rib cage. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started doing that, recognizing because that's when their hip was actually turned mm-hmm. in the rotation. If they, I, I think of like the body in like in in globes. Your head is a really small globe. Your hips are a big globe. All right. Mm-hmm. So your head can move a lot faster than your hips can. Mm-hmm. So if I start moving my head before my hips, then I'm going to take an early breath. But if I move yeah. my hips, then my head, no issue. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how I teach the time. What I've had uh, coaches disagree with me in the middle of clinics. Like uh, one of the things I do also is teach the level one to two certifications for master swimming. And, yeah. you know, people will outright be like, no, that's not how you do it. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Sure. Prove me wrong, I guess.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: So is that, is that a similar approach for you or how do you, how do you approach it?
1: Um, well, yeah, I mean, I think the most traditional way of breathing is what you were saying before, where it's hand entry, head turns kind of thing. And it's in conjunction with the pole and, um, you know, with like, kind of like, Swim America and other these like mm-hmm. main learn to swim, they teach that specifically and they teach um, you know, catch up freestyle, which is all kind of mm-hmm. great. Um but
0: <laughs> that's a yeah. very sea of you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um but I would say that there is kind of like a new style of breathing, whether it's like gonna be super mainstream or not, and I don't think it's necessarily even at the same timing of how you're teaching it, but it's more like completing the breath sooner versus initiating the breath later. Um, and what it does is like Nathan Adrian does it. So I wrote a blog post on it and it, I just call it Nathan Adrian breathing. So he basically tries to drop the head down and get the body back in a straight line quicker. So he takes more breath. So he breathes every stroke um, and he gets more air. Cause it's, I mean, he gets more air over time because it's, even yeah. though it's a smaller breath, because he's taking more breaths, um, and he's in his power, he's in a better power position um, yeah. for his pull by getting his head down sooner versus keeping the head to the side and then continuing like through that catch phase and going into the the exit, which is that most propulsive portion of your freestyle stroke. So I think it's cool, but I don't think that breathing style is necessarily something that needs to be taught to a 12-year-old or like the kids I that I swim with uh work with so it it really does vary but um yeah for the most part i want to just make sure that the breathing stays um in line with the pole and then if for some reason i have a sprinter that's really trying to get after it or something like that i'll have them try and see if they can drop the head sooner uh and it's weird because you're going to be so used to kind of this like synchronized swimming um but if you can get it it's yeah it's definitely faster
0: yeah um I feel like I could talk to you all day long about swimming. I don't want to <laughs> keep you too much longer, though. Uh, and we can do this whenever we want, right? It's, just, mm-hmm. it's a phone call. So this is easy enough to do. Uh, so I I, I want to continue to talk to you, but I also don't want to take up too much more of your time. Yeah. Um, so any sort of uh, thing you want to share with any uh, people listening out there about freestyle in general, like some things like like common mistakes you see, mm-hmm. um, common uh, troubleshooting things that you have to go over, anything mm-hmm. at
1: all? Yeah, so I mean I feel like I, over the years, have kind of created a philosophy of like a drill progression that what I would take someone through, kind of like what we're talking about, but it would be in more literal, literal terms if I was working with you, um, that I – I'm happy to share with anybody or anybody who would like to learn more about how I think of swimming. Um, and yeah, it's basically like so I own my own business, I work for myself, and it's called Swim Like a Fish. And if anybody wants to check out the freestyle course that I have, you can. Cool. Um it's at my website, swimlikeafish.org. Um, but all the all a lot of things that I do are free. A lot of my blogs and videos and all that jazz on how I think of swimming and my philosophy can be found there. And uh yeah, I think I just wrote a blog that was like the three common mistakes i see in freestyle and number one is body line so (laughs) kind of like circles out this whole conversation yeah pretty much that's pretty much number one that's what i see a lot so that's
0: your most most recent blog post
1: yes i yeah and i yep yeah
0: okay so this podcast will be uh we'll put this podcast up probably on like wednesday so people should be able to go see that pretty easily then they'll be able to find it pretty easily um yeah, I'll make
1: sure that it's like on the top of the list. Okay,
0: cool. Um, all right, so sounds good to me. Uh, I I really want to keep talking to you, so we'll we'll touch base again at some point, and we'll do this again hopefully soon. Because uh, cool. it's just it's been fun. Uh, it's been really fun talking with you, and cool. I, I come visit. I really want to come visit. Like you have. No idea we, when we were pre planning this podcast out, I really looked into a lot of different options to come visit. Yeah, uh, but I, I felt like it was smarter to get the chance to talk to you first mm-hmm. than to, to wait to visit. Um, yeah. and Louisville's blowing up, I mean, I can't get away yeah. from it. Everyone keeps yeah. talking about how great it is there, mm-hmm. so I cool really want to come visit. Yeah, um, what's, what's the weather like in uh, April?
1: April's pretty nice. I mean, like, the summer and here can get pretty hot, but April's not hot yet. Um, so you'll have a solid, like, spring spring season that, yeah, I mean, as long as you don't have allergies, we're in the oh, Ohio yeah. Valley. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. nice out. So, yeah, we're not swimming outside yet. That's the only thing. All the pools will still be indoors. But uh, overall, it's even not that bad right now. Like, it's cold, but it's still sunny. So as long as I see sun, I'm cool. Like, that's how I feel. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. Oh, all right, well, maybe I'll try to plan something out for April because I hate April in D.C. It's deceivingly cold. It's always beautiful and sunny,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but it's always freezing. It just oh, doesn't no. make sense to me.
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. So, so, yeah. Well, cool. Yeah, definitely. Let me know. Yeah,
0: we'll figure it out. All yeah. right. So um, thanks again. We'll yeah. do this sometime soon. All Sounds right. Sounds good. <laughs> all right. Talk to you later. Happy Bye. Bye.